You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, for this new day, for gathering us here to uh, be together uh, in our services and also for all the classes at this hour, especially this one here for each of us and uh, what we bring uh, to each other. Lord, I thank you and uh, beg your mercy and blessings. And would you speak to us through your word as we uh, hear what uh, you have to say to us through your son and your uh, apostles, Lord, and that we might uh, submit to your will and not ours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what I want to do is just, uh, th- this is so this is part of a fall series that's been going on in the dean's class. Um, we're, I guess, a bit midstream. If you haven't been coming to these classes, Andrew's taught on a series of topics so far. So this is part of that series. Uh, and the topic today, the question, I didn't, I didn't come up with this. Andrew just gave me the question and said, teach. <laughs> and so I'm going you know, to do it my way. But this is the question, is how can the church get in the way of following Jesus? We're talking about following Jesus in this series. Uh, for you to... Uh, follow Jesus yourself and to also be a fisher of men and women to help other people follow Jesus. And so we're asking the question about the church of how can the church itself sometimes get in the way, unfortunately, of people following Jesus. So what I want to do is just get with some folks near you, two or three people near you, and just have a discussion to answer this question, okay? And you might use the sheets of paper that are going around to take some notes so that you don't forget. Make sense? A few minutes, discuss, a few people. How can the church get in the way of following Jesus? The local church, yeah. Welcome. So if you're just coming in, we're discussing with some people around us this question. So talk amongst yourselves. How can the church, the local church in particular, get in the way of people following Jesus? And we'll come back together. If you need the mic, you can get David. Otherwise, shout it out one at a time. How are some ways, if you don't want to say the thing you said, what did someone you were talking with say? Yeah, churches, especially in America, are notorious for creating busyness that ironically often gets in the way of people having a private devotional life or relational um, time together. Good thought. Other they preach a false gospel, which is no gospel. So a, a false, preaching a false gospel, and that can take many shapes, but there is one gospel, so anything other than it would be a false gospel. Yeah, down there, shout it out. So um, can I just write rituals for brevity? fancy word for that, I think it's, I don't know how it's spelled, capitulation. <laughs> well, yeah, falling in line with culture. Yeah. Sorry? So unwelcoming, being unwelcoming. If I'm changing your answer, I'm just trying to ch- keep it to one word, so forgive me, but I want to honor what you're saying. Uh, other thoughts? What did someone you were with say? 
judgmental, is that a good word for it? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the rituals maybe, or really in appearance, yeah. Formality. What else? Yeah, so that was kind of the uh, false gospel capitulation sort of stuff. Is that what you mean? Uh huh. So unbiblical teaching. We'll just write unbiblical here. Is that okay? Yeah, so teaching on other things that have nothing to do with the, the Bible or coming uh, from a tradition related to the Bible. Yeah, any other thoughts? Let's fill this sheet, and then we'll stop. We'll probably fit like, I don't know, 12 things up here. That's a good number, good round number. We got eight. Let's get four more up here. Yeah, Helen. So uh, that's kind of the busyness sort of thing. It's programmatic. And, and I want to emphasize that she said being programmatic um, at the expense of doing the right thing, of, of being biblical and preaching the gospel. Uh, Oops. I actually have a master's in English. Can you believe that? And I can't spell denominationalism. Okay. Yeah. Ken. So moralism instead of uh, you know, confusing that idea with the gospel. Just, just sort of teaching moralism as if it were the gospel. Sometimes people, if you ask them what the gospel is, they might say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not the gospel. It's a product of the gospel affecting your life, for sure. Uh, what do we have here? I said 12. Let's do six. Seven, we get one, one or two more here, right? We'd be, we'd be at 12. Let's do one more. I think the math will be right. Like I said, I have a master's in English, not in math. So, um, One more. What, what did someone you were sitting with say? David, you've got thoughts. What do you mean? Say, say, say that more. Do you want to use the mic so it's on the recording? That uh, following Jesus is something we can do on our own, I guess you'd say, uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to uh, the spirit. Oh, okay. Self-sufficiency. Sure. Self, right? yeah, sort of a self um, self-reliance. Uh, with respect to following Jesus. Okay, good. So how can the church get in the way of following Jesus? The busyness that we create. Uh, the church creates in the American uh, sort of way of doing things, uh, preaching any sort of false gospel, being unwelcoming to people who are visiting, uh, a sense of required formality in terms of uh, appearance. We're not talking about the formalism of rituals, but a formality of expectation of, say, dress and, and whatnot, manners, uh, being programmatic at the expense of preaching the gospel. There might be programs that are gospel-centered, but sometimes uh, churches just create programs for the sake of creating programs, uh, emphasizing uh, moralism over the gospel, 
Uh, our rituals sometimes can get in the way of people following Jesus, no matter how good they are. A capitulation uh, to the culture at the expense of the biblical message and being unbiblical, being judgmental. Some of these are related. The judgmentalism is probably related to the unwelcoming uh, a sense of denominationalism, that's what that word is, that's chicken scratch there, and a self-reliance on our own uh, meritorious uh, ability to, to, um, uh, to follow Jesus and not depending on, on the Spirit. I'm going to uh, read a few other possibilities. I, you, you, all might, you know, I told Emily, who's a senior warden, if I'm fired on Monday, I won't be surprised because... Uh, you know, Andrew asked me to, to do something that I think a lot of people don't want to hear. <laughs> We're at the church, right? You know, and so I've been here five years, so I can tell you what I really think. Um, here are some other possibilities. And I'm not saying that, you know, some of these things, I'm not saying um, are inherently problematic, but we often see them get, uh, get in the way of people following Jesus um, that, uh, that, uh, might, uh, might not be required. Uh, church programs and services that are segregated by age or gender, uh, pulpits, audio systems, pianos, organs, televised worship, raising uh, hands or coming forward to accept Christ as Savior, specific cultural styles of preaching, uh, preparing uh, ministers and academic institutions outside of the church, professional uh, local church staff, parachurch agencies, ordination requirements that go beyond uh, what scripture requires, choirs, vestments, church buildings, and decorative architecture, prayer book rubrics, political party commitments, judging outsiders, uh, church calendar year or seasons, requiring clergy to perform uh, weddings and funerals, dressing up for church gatherings, confirmation services, prohibition against alcohol, clergy callers, the idea of an age of accountability, any specific specifications about mode of baptism, commanding we use wine or any particular type of drink at communion. Jesus only says cup. These are all things that aren't necessarily imperative. And what I want to talk to you about today are there, we can think of three levels of authority in the church. And a lot of these things and the things that I said here, um, so if we have three levels of authority of where people look for our practices a lot of the things that I've just mentioned and the things that, that you called out come under human traditions. These things are cultural. I'm not saying that all of them are wrong or bad. Even the busyness, you know, a lot of the stuff that, uh, the, uh, the busyness that we create, a lot of those things by themselves are good things, aren't they, Mary Margaret? Uh, but it's just the sort of the accumulation of all of them. Um, but uh, that's one level, is a cultural level, human traditions. Another level of looking to authority for the church and its practices are, are apostolic practices that we see in the New Testament, the things that the apostles uh, did that are described. They're not made, they're not mandated, uh, but they are described. And we can think of these things as potentially normative, but not required. I'll give you a few examples of what I mean by that. Um, uh, Paul, for example, you know what, I'm going to get to that in a minute, because I'm going to go through these one by one. I'll, I'll, get to the, I'll get back to that in a little bit. So these are just practices that the apostles had or, or, or taught, but not as imperative. 
And a, third, a, a first level, a primary level of authority for the church are the things that Jesus and the apostles actually commanded as imperative, to do in order to follow Jesus. What are the things that they said to do in order to follow Jesus? Um, and most of the things we've talked about so far up here in this uh, number three, the human uh, traditions, which are optional at best or uh, problematic at worst. And yet these things, you know, the things that we listed here and some of the things that I talked about are often the things that take up most of our time, our energy, and our attention in the church. And they're often the things that most commonly divide us. Uh, the things that kind of fall in this category are often the things that lead to church division and conflicts, splits and whatnot, you know, the color of the carpet sort of cliche kind of things. Um, even though it's, it's number three, meaning it should be the least emphasized in terms of its level of authority, are often the things that, that demand the most of our attention. And uh, things like uh, legalism or colonialism or, or a binding of people's consciences are usually products of this third level of the human tradition. Uh, making uh, traditions from level three imperative are what we call legalism. If we make things from this third level imperative, that's what we call legalism. Or making traditions from this third level part of our evangelism to people is what's called colonialism. When we take church traditions and make it part of our sharing the faith of Jesus Christ with someone who's not a follower, that's called colonialism. And that doesn't mean just... Uh, in say Africa or Asia, that can mean here in the United States uh, as well. And making uh, traditions from this uh, third level a part of our discipleship, of what's, you know, what we tell each other as part of what's required for following Jesus can often bind people's consciences in unnecessary ways that can cause things like doubt. Uh, so, so not all the things under human tradition are necessarily bad. Are you catching what I'm saying when I'm saying that? It's the way that, it's the principle about how we talk about them. In terms of uh, the, the, the main question that we have for today of how can the church get in the way of following Jesus, uh, the, the, these problems in, at level three are, are at the heart of how the church can most often get in the way of people following Jesus. Well, let's come back to level two. I said I would do that, to go to the apostolic practices. Uh, things that we find described in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, in Acts, for example, or in the epistles, that are not imperative. Um, they're practices that are normative, meaning they can be normalizing and yet optional. Uh, I'll give you some examples. I'm just going to write them up here on the sheet. Do you remember that Paul, ooh, look at that, how did that happen? Using a Sharpie is always dangerous. Do you remember Paul circumcised Timothy? That's a real good example of what I'm talking about here because do you remember a main hot topic in the letter to the Galatians? That you don't need to be circumcised. And yet here, the same guy who wrote Galatians 
did what? He circumcised Timothy. Why? Because in the town where they were, uh, it, 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 this was a way for Paul and Timothy to be all things to all people, to not allow culture to get in the way of their ministry to some Jewish people. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they, you know, I don't know. Is there a sort of locker room situation or something, you know? <laughs> uh, but, but Paul circumcised Timothy. And so it's not, uh, it's not, a, it's not an imperative. Uh, it might not even be normative. But uh, it, it's something that happened. And so we see clearly in Galatians, as, Paul, as David said, uh, that uh, it's, it's actually, if, if when we make it a requirement, that's called legalism. And so uh, that was a problem there in Galatia. Another thing is, is, is laying on of hands uh, to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, you don't need to have someone lay their hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be at work in your life and come into your life regardless of whether someone lays their hands on you. And yet, we see in the New Testament that sometimes that happens, okay? And we also see the Holy Spirit come into people's lives, for example, in Acts chapter 2, where that didn't happen. And so to make it a, a mandate uh, would, is a problem, and yet it might be a normalizing thing to do, for example, at things like confirmation or ordination or praying over someone to receive the Holy Spirit could be perfectly fine as long as it's not mandated. Another one is speaking... In tongues. Now, this is very similar to the laying on of hands. People spoke in tongues in the New Testament, and yet we see Paul in 1 Corinthians talking about how uh, that's, that shouldn't be made a requirement. As a matter of fact, you might avoid doing it in public gatherings because outsiders will think you're weird and they won't come back. <laughs> And yet he's saying it's perfectly fine to speak in tongues. I myself, Paul, speak in tongues. And so we see in the New Testament where that, that's an apostolic practice. Uh, and we still know people to this day who speak in tongues, and that's perfectly fine. The problem is making it a requirement. Another one is uh, sharing material goods. We see in uh, Acts uh, chapter 2 and I think 4, Elsewhere, where they have things in common, it's a description of a practice of the early church, and yet something like communism is never mandated uh, in the New Testament. But it was a practice in order to love and care for people, especially people who had less needs, uh, had less means and more needs. Uh, they would share things. They would provide for other people and have things in common. That's a, that's a normalizing principle that we might want to take to heart in terms of a practice that we see that is a very good practice. And yet, it's, it's not mandated. We'll see later that something related is mandated. Uh, here's uh, one more that I mentioned is using... Well, maybe I'll end here because I think you're catching my drift. Are you catching my drift? Because there's so many more things that we could uh, put up here. Another one is using one cup at communion. That's described... Help me out here. I think that's in 1 Corinthians. Or is it Ephesians? Anyway, somewhere in the New Testament, it talks about using one cup. Uh, but if that were mandated, we're breaking a, 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 a rule every Sunday because we often fill several cups out of expediency on Sunday because there are just so many people. Uh, and so it's a practice that some churches 
follow and even kind of consider or, or pretty explicitly considered a mandate. Uh, and it's, it's not. So these are, this is level two versus level three, which was human tradition. These are apostolic practices that are described and not required. And they're uh, often uh, normalizing. And if we make uh, traditions from uh, level three imperative, remember that is uh, legalism. So making normative practices from level two imperative is, is similarly legalism as well. Let's talk about level one, which were the, the imperatives of, uh, of Jesus and uh, his apostles. So this is uh, level number one, commands of Jesus and apostles. Now, Jesus, uh, how do I want to go about s explaining this? But what I want to do, I think, first of all, is uh, is to look at, shoot, I don't want to put it in there, is to look at um, Matthew chapter 28 at the very end of that chapter. If you have a Bible, you can flip to it. This is what's called the Great Commission. So why is this topic of level number one important? Because in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says this about make, being a follower and making other followers of Jesus Christ. He says, and Jesus, uh, uh, Matthew describes, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the uh, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, or if you have the NIV, it's teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we see there in the Great Commission that part of making new followers of Jesus is, 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 of teaching, is teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. It's not just teaching, as some people often say, but he specifically says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And elsewhere in John's gospel, by the way, this is a big theme in John's gospel, is, is uh, uh, observing what he's commanded or being obedient to Jesus. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we saw a very similar thing in Doug's sermon, if you were here at 9 a.m., where he pointed out the, the end of uh, Luke chapter 6, which is similar to the end of uh, Matthew chapter 7, about building a house on two different foundations and building one's uh, uh, faith on what Christ commands versus the other things is building one's uh, house of faith on a solid foundation versus building it on, say, number three would be on sinking sand. Um, and so this is why it's important. So what are his commands? He talks about observing his commands. What are they? Well, we can go to several different places. We, three different places we can go. Number one is uh, uh, Jesus summarizes the commandments in, in Matthew chapter 22 where he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So that's a, probably the best general statement of love of God and love for neighbor as observing his commands. And yet, if you do flip through the Gospels, people have different counts, but it's somewhere around 100. Around 100 times, Jesus speaks in the imperative. 
either specifically to specific individuals like the rich young ruler where he tells him, you know, go sell everything that you have, or more generally in terms of uh, teaching on something that it, w- it would be a necessary part of following Jesus. For example, taking up one's cross is a command about uh, perseverance, right? Um, but going through 100 commands would be too much for us today. <laughs> and so there's something we can do to look at uh, that puts a little more flesh on the bones of the, the general commandments in Matthew 22, uh, the great commandment. And, and also between the 100 times where he speaks in the imperative, and that's to go to Acts chapter 2. So why don't we take a look together at Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 36 through 47. Um, and uh, what we see here is the earliest church. And remember that 10 days before this, Jesus was on earth and left his apostles and uh, told them to be his witnesses to all the world. And the spirit comes at Pentecost, 3,000 are added to their number. And this is what, how they practice life as disciples of Jesus Christ, just 10 days later. This is how the apostles are, this is a description of what the apostles uh, obviously are teaching the church Uh, to do in in order to observe all that Jesus commanded. Would somebody be willing, and maybe we get the mic to give my voice a rest, to read Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for the children and for all who who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Okay, thanks, David. I'm putting um, some of the things that Jesus and his life commanded that you see in this passage that um, is being described and um, putting up some of the references of where he commanded it. So if you want, I mean, there are other places too. And also in the, the New Testament, 
um, elsewhere in uh, the writings of the apostles, they teach similar things. Um, and uh, there are th some other topics that come out in this passage, but these are things that Jesus in his life uh, commanded. And here are some of the references um, to repent and believe. And repentance meaning a turning away from one's old life and turning to Jesus instead. Uh, to, to, to not just be baptized, but to baptize is the command given in the Great Commission that we read earlier. Uh, and part of that Great Commission is to make disciples, to make more, more followers of Jesus, uh, to love. Uh, and let's see, what was the last one? Uh, Matthew 5, if you can read it. Um, love for God and for neighbor, uh, love for each other and love for enemies are all commanded uh, to break bread, meaning uh, the Lord's Supper, taking communion, but also as it's described in this passage, I hope you see that also includes they're, they're just eating meals together uh, to pray, and he gives a description of that in uh, reference to the Lord's Prayer, both in Matthew and in Luke, and to give, uh, although having uh, all things in common is described here. It's not something that Jesus commanded, but he did talk about giving uh, and giving out of one's uh, of, of poverty, giving uh, uh, not just out of one's wealth. And there are three other things that I want to add to this list that are also things that the, the apostles, um, so I would say that this is still level one, but these are teachings of the uh, apostles um, that Jesus himself didn't necessarily command, but by extension through his apostles are certainly uh, commanded, which is uh, devotion to the word, whoops, um, uh, gathering. And I want to put with that to gather together is there's about a, a hundred times also in the uh, teaching of the apostles these passages that talk about doing something to, to one another, the one another's, that are in the context of gathering together with fellow believers, uh, to, uh, to love one another, to speak the word with one another, to greet one another, things like that. And then finally you see them worshiping or uh, praising God, however you want to say it, but in some way that is culturally embedded, by the way, but pouring oneself out uh, to God. So these are 10 things that are described in Acts chapter 2 that we see commanded by Jesus or commanded by his apostles. Uh, there are probably other things that we could tease out of there as well that are top priority in terms of following Jesus that are expected of his followers. This is the Christian life. This isn't legalism. Uh, this is uh, 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 the, the, the practice of the believer that uh, is, is sort of expected outcome of one's faith. Okay, we've only got seven minutes or so. Can I get four volunteers to come up here? Please.
And so uh, let's put them in order. Okay, so good. That's level one together. Uh, you guys switch, okay? Just to summarize, to recap, to see. Because uh, I think, I mean, and by the way, nothing, these levels of authority are not in the Bible. This is, this is theologizing, okay? But you can discern uh, in the Bible these things. And the reason why it's helpful to make these distinctions is so that we can think deliberately about what we're doing and expecting and uh, what we're teaching people in order uh, to live a normal Christian life. And usually we invert the scenario. Remember, I started with three, went to two, and then went to one because we spend the most time at level three talking about this stuff. This is what usually divides the church or things related to it. Um, these are practices that we can look to and even follow and uh, you know, be examples of things that we might consider doing. Uh, we don't need to circumcise, but the, as Paul says, I'm uh, all things to all people. I don't let my culture get in the way of sharing the gospel because Jesus is weird enough. Read John chapter six, okay? Um, so, so don't you add to the weirdness of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead and asking you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Let that be the main thing. Okay, but so th these are things that we can do that aren't cultural. These are cultural. These are things that we can do that we see in the New Testament that are helpful teaching. These are imperative. This is the normal Christian life. These are seven things that Jesus taught on and emphasized. Uh, and these are three things that we see repeatedly in, uh, uh, that are commanded by the apostles or they're described by Jesus. Jesus also talks about, you know, man shall live uh, not by bread alone, but by the word. Uh, he talks about when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's not a command, but he actually describes these things or uh, worship and praise. Uh, help me out. Uh, you know, the... Uh, the People are coming who will worship me in spirit and in truth, okay? Uh, so there are things that he talks about. Let's thank these four volunteers. You guys can just uh, give those to me. Um, questions, feedback, comments, concerns, discussion. We've got like four minutes. And David could help you out with the mic if you want to be amplified. Yeah, Ken. Do you want to, here, let's wait till the mic comes. Exclusivity. Yeah, in other words, we, we know the only way. We know most denominations are trying to interpret things the way they believe. You know? Right. Uh, so you can't uh, exclude people just because they believe in another method of baptism or something of that nature. Yeah. And uh, some churches uh, deny membership based on this method of baptism. Yeah, so mode of baptism is something that's not, or method, uh, immersion versus as we do sprinkling or some other way, maybe standing in water and having water poured on you. There are probably other possibilities are never commanded. The thing that is commanded is to baptize. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. Uh, and that's why these, these distinguishing these levels are helpful. We need to baptize. Not doing so is being disobedient. Uh, but when we add to that and in terms of the way of going about it, um, we create unnecessary problems. Other thoughts, questions? Yeah, David. 
Uh, this has been very interesting, and I think it cuts across all denominational lines and independent church lines. And I know from business, it's very difficult to change the culture of a company right. or change the culture of a church. And different people have found different constituencies to whom they uh, appeal and reach by different means. Yeah. And so if, if this church, for example, were to attempt to make some changes, I don't know how easily yeah. that might be done or what the repercussions might be. And the same for any other church. Yeah, so he's talking about uh, with all these things in mind, especially with the level three concerns, if we were to make changes to them, that would probably upset a lot of people pastorally. And yet making those changes might make us more welcoming and have a stronger ability to reach other people. Uh, there are a few things to, to say about that. Um, number one, my question for you, if, is this true? You know what I've just said? Do you buy into what I've just said? If you do, you know, what are you going to do about it? Not the structure of the institution, but at a heart level, what does this matter for you? And then by extension, I think our church would be affected. If all, you know, a thousand people who come here on a Sunday said, yeah, this is, this is right, and we ought to uh, pay attention to this, I think the culture of the church would change in the right ways. Um, but we're not, I'm not saying we ought to blow everything up. Because no church, and I'll just end on this point, no church in the city of Birmingham is going to reach all people in the city of Birmingham. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, thank God that there's more than one church. Um, there's a, I'll just, I was going to bring this in because I'm talking about being obedient to what Christ commanded and the Great Commission. There's a great song uh, hymn by a guy named William Cooper called Love Constraining to Obedience. It's a great, great hymn. And one of the lines he says, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. And so about those seven commands of Christ, when we know our salvation, it's no longer a burdensome to us, but we have a childlike obedience that, that wants to uh, to do these things out of our, our own choice. And we see that our, our life has improved as a result. Uh, now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.